Whoa. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Morning. If you're out in the entryway, you can come on in, find a seat. We're going to get into God's Word together. If we haven't met before, Marlee's excited. We're ready to go. If we haven't met before, my name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And if this is your first time with us, we're certainly glad that you've joined us this morning. Welcome to July and welcome to a new series. So over July and August, uh, Mark and I are going to work together this time. We're, we've learned to get along after a while. And uh, we're going to take a break from our regular preaching in 2 Corinthians and the Gospel of Mark to spend a few weeks looking at one of the more unique and practical books in the whole Bible, the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open them up. Uh, two Proverbs, if you open your Bible up right in the middle, you're probably not that far away. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, that's where Proverbs lands. You should be able to find it not too long. All right, so we'll start this series uh, by breaking down the introduction of the book, which is the first seven verses of chapter one, and uh, hopefully setting the stage for everything that follows this summer. All right? So we'll, we'll get to the verses in a bit. We'll provide a bit of, uh, a, bit of a foundation here, here first. So Proverbs is one of three books in the Bible that falls into the category of wisdom literature, the other two being Job and Ecclesiastes. Uh, when we hear the word, words wisdom literature, our ears uh, kind of perk up a bit because everybody loves the idea of wisdom, right? Everyone loves the idea of wisdom. No one here wishes to be less wise and make worse decisions than you are currently making, right? <laughs> no, we all want to desperately win at life, as they say, right? We want... We all want to succeed. We want to do things the best way. We want to be the most efficient, the most skilled. We want to make the best choices. And we only need to log into social media to know that this is true as people constantly share videos and little things of life hacks to show you the better way, the better way to peel an avocado, the better way to fold a fitted sheet, uh, the better way to squeeze a tube of toothpaste. And I saw once, oftentimes it's not even an easier way, it's just a more intricate, clever way, right? I saw one once where a guy took four toothbrushes and cut the heads off and hot glued them to a pencil and then stuck the pencil in a drill and then used it to polish something. And you can literally buy that for about $5 at Canadian Tire. And it's probably less than the cost of a four-pack of toothbrushes. And your family's not upset that you cut the heads off of all their toothbrushes, too. And it's not held together with dollar store glue gun stick. and probably last a bit longer. But people love this stuff, right? We love, we're always searching for the next tips, the next bit of advice, so that we can get a bit more wisdom, so that we can succeed in everyday life. And Christians are no different. When we came to Christ, the desire to do things well doesn't disappear. After all, the desire to not make a mess of your life is a good thing, right? And so Christians are no different. A problem, though, is that so often Christians don't see the Bible as relevant to the nitty-gritty details of our everyday lives. And so instead of running to God's Word for wisdom, we turn to the experts like Oprah and Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and Dear Abby 
and so on, so that we can win at finances, work, marriage, health, and so on. And whatever the Bible says on raising children as seen as old and out of touch uh, and is eclipsed by whatever wisdom is dispensed in the latest best-selling book on parenting. Even Christians who want a Christian perspective on these things are more likely to run to the next best-selling Christian book than we are to God's Word alone. Because we want to find the seven keys to becoming a better me and the two words that will change my life today. And maybe if we just learned what those five love languages are, our marriage would be transformed. And maybe if I prayed that prayer for 40 days, everything would change. All right? Just as a general rule, I'm not saying they're all bad, but you should always proceed with caution when a Christian book has a number in the title. Okay? Just as a general rule, okay? If you see the title and, the, and it says seven keys or five tips or 40 days or whatever, not saying they're all bad, but just your radar should go up and you should think, all right, right? Because life's too short to waste it reading a bad book, all right? So take a few minutes to research it before you spend a few weeks reading it. But we're attracted to those books because so often we don't want God's Word. We just want someone to provide us with some helpful strategies, some helpful tips, a few cherry-picked verses, and we're good. We think of gaining wisdom for everyday life. We don't think the Bible has much to offer us. But the truth is the Bible does speak to our everyday lives, and Proverbs is one of the most practical books in the whole Bible. Proverbs is all about us becoming wise in everyday life. And here in these opening lines, we'll begin to get an idea of what wisdom looks like and how we can get it. All right, so Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll read the first seven verses. So I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So Father... We're so thankful for this morning. We're so thankful for what you've already done and the ways that you've been speaking to us, the ways that you've been encouraging us, the ways that you've spoken to our hearts and just lifted us to make that glorious praise to your glorious name. And we pray now as we come to your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand. We're so, so often just prone to just skim over these words and if they do sink in, they're just in our heads. We want them to go down to our hearts this morning. We want them to bring real change in our lives. And so we're confident this morning that your word can do that. And so we pray now that you would come by your spirit and work through your word to make us more like the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Proverbs 1 and the first seven verses says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, we'll make our way through these first seven verses and we'll see what we, 
what we pick up along the way. So right off the bat, we need to see that these are the Proverbs. These are the Proverbs. A biblical proverb is a briefly stated, time-tested insight into real life. And so the thing I want to draw special attention to right off the bat is that these are Proverbs and they're not promises. The Proverbs are dealing with probabilities and general rules, not guarantees. And so the theme throughout the book is that if you fear God and are wise, things will go well for you. And if you don't fear God and are foolish, things will turn out poorly. That's a general rule. And yes, there are exceptions. Maybe we are even living in an exception. So it's important to understand that the proverb is true in what it says, but what it says is not a promise. Okay? Proverbs are not promises. So when Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it, that should be seen as a general rule that if you pour into your child wisdom and instruction, if you teach them the gospel and model it before them, that when they get older, they will be in a better spot to follow God themselves than if you said nothing to them and just plunked them in front of Netflix. Okay? But it's not a promise that if you do that, then this will happen. And unfortunately, we all know cases where the child has departed from the way he or she was taught, or at least is currently departed. But we put our hope in God that the story is not yet finished, right? That even as it appears like they are running as far away from the truth that they were taught, they cannot outrun the reach of God to bring them back to Himself. So we don't stop calling out to God for them. Proverbs deals with the general rules, not the exceptions. If you want to look at the exceptions, you can give the other wisdom books a look. Job and Ecclesiastes deal with those exceptions in a very raw way. So that's where the whole collection of the wisdom literature, literature gives us a full, a full picture of what wisdom is. So where Proverbs 19.23 says the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied, he will not be visited by harm, Job would beg to differ. Job would, not, would know that that is not a promise from God. The story of Job shows us a man who feared the Lord and was visited by much harm and how he pr pr processed that and how he wrestled through that. So we need all the wisdom books to get the full, the full picture. But Proverbs is not promises from God. Okay? So that's just something right out of the gate that we need to go. It's very, that we need to get down. It's very helpful when you're reading through because otherwise we are you know, fairly prone to just take a verse like Proverbs 22.6 and say, well... God, you promised if I train up my child this way, then you said this is what happens. But we need to understand the book that we're reading from and the context that that's in. Alright? So, let's continue on. So these first seven verses, uh, Proverbs as a book, the first nine chapters are kind of the introduction. Uh, and then, so pro these first seven verses are kind of the introduction 
to the introduction. So it's a rather long introduction, like some preachers you might know. Uh, that It's a very lengthy nine-chapter introduction before we get to chapter 10, which is what we probably most associate with, with Proverbs, those kind of one-liners or one or two-liners of kind of uh, just wisdom in a little nutshell for us. So we see right off the start that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon is the main author of the book in that he's responsible for the majority of it. There are other authors like Agur and Lemuel, which Karen and I have added with Bunny and Uzi to our children's names list. <laughs> Agur and Lemuel. Lemuel, Lemuel, Lemuel Smith. Just wait for the announcement on Facebook. Uh, but it's no surprise that Solomon is the main, the main contributor. Solomon was the wisest king in the history of Israel uh, because we see in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, God grants him a request for wisdom and he becomes the wisest king in Israel's history. 1 Kings chapter 4 says Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So that's the, the main author of this book is King Solomon. I just love that it says his songs were a thousand and five, that they didn't just round that down to a thousand. Those five songs that he added right at the end. Woo. So here in the introduction, we find that they are the Proverbs of Solomon. So we have Solomon filled with wisdom, moved along by the Holy Spirit, and he's the one telling us what wisdom is and how we can get it. So there's some weight there to this book, isn't there? It's not, I mean, it's all scriptures, you know, written by God, but it's, it's not like we just have a fisherman here. We have wise King Solomon who wrote 3,000 Proverbs, and he wrote a few of them down here for us in the book of Proverbs. And it says that he's Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And here we got to get the first insight into what is wisdom. And we see that wisdom has a royal aspect to it. it this is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And so there's a royal quality to wisdom. Proverbs 8, 15-16 uh, wisdom states, it is by me that kings reign and rulers enact law. By me, princes lead, as do nobles and all righteous judges. So immediately, Proverbs connects wisdom with kingship and with the, uh, with the messianic title, son of David. The king embodies and represents the nation he rules. And so if the king is wise, the people will be wise. If the king is foolish, so will be the people that he rules. So, so many times we see in Israel's history and the history of the world, in fact, the foolishness of the king le leads to the destruction of the kingdom. 
the foolishness of the king leads to the destruction of the kingdom. I'll refrain from making any modern day uh, analogies. There is a need. <laughs> there is a need for a wise king who produces a wise kingdom. There is a need for a wise king who produces a wise kingdom. So that's the first thing. It's the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So there's a royal aspect to wisdom. Next we see in verse 2 uh, that, Prover- that, that the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction. Or some translations say correction and to understand words of insight. So wisdom is correction and understanding. Wisdom requires the humility that acknowledges you don't know everything and you're able to receive instruction, even correction, from another. If you want to gauge how wise you are, Proverbs asks you, how well do you respond to correction? How well do you respond to teaching, to counsel? Do you have relationships in your life where you allow someone to speak into your life, to warn you when you're going in a wrong direction to challenge you to think differently. The Bible calls that discipleship. We all need to be discipled by pastors, by our parents, by friends who are followers of Christ. That type of correction and counsel, Proverbs labels as wisdom. Okay, So wisdom is correction. Wisdom is understanding. If we go down to verse 3, We notice as well that Solomon tells us that wisdom has to do with righteousness, justice, and equity. And this is interesting because oftentimes when we think of wisdom, we can just think of of intellect, of high IQ, but biblical wisdom comes down to the knowledge of good and evil. It knows the difference between right and wrong, between righteousness and unrighteousness, between justice and injustice. So oftentimes, wisdom and folly, uh, which are kind of the two characters that Proverbs set up, sets up, they're often presented as, as just kind of morally neutral. So we have wisdom and folly, and they're just, it's not, it's not you know, sin and righteousness, it's just this is wise and this is dumb, right? Uh, but that's not how Proverbs presents wisdom to us. According to Proverbs, foolishness is the inability to discern what is good and what is evil. It is a sin to be a fool, according to Proverbs. And wisdom is the knowledge of what is good and what is evil in a specific situation that we find ourselves in. So wisdom is the knowledge of good and evil. That's an interesting line, isn't it? It's kind of familiar. It kind of reminds us of a man and woman standing in a garden in front of a tree, faced with a decision involving good and evil. And you go back to Genesis 3 and we see God told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree except the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to teach them and all of humanity to depend on Him for that knowledge instead of determining it for ourselves. Good and evil are for God to decide, not us. That's a, that's a decision that's above our pay grade. 
But Adam and Eve trusted the voice of the serpent instead of God's word. And in Genesis 3.6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so that first fall into sin came from a desire to seek wisdom apart from God. That first fall into sin in the garden came from a desire to seek wisdom apart from God and His Word. And so we should let that sink in a bit before we move on too quickly from that. That fall into sin when all the world was then set into motion apart from God, that breaking of our right relationship with God came from a desire to seek wisdom apart from God and His Word. It came from a desire for us to determine what is right and wrong instead of looking to God for those decisions. Instead of submitting to God's Word, Adam and Eve pursued wisdom in what they thought was right in their own eyes. And the result was chaos and confusion. And we're so good at replaying that garden scene in our own lives, aren't we? So many times we find all kinds of ways to evade God's Word so that we can pursue what is right in our own eyes. We become kings and queens of exceptions. I know God's Word says this, but in my scenario, I know God's Word lays a pretty hard line down for my sexual morality, but Jesus didn't have the same pressures I have. And I'm sure if Paul fell in love the way I've fallen in love, he would have written those verses a bit differently. We become very good at replaying that garden scene and making exceptions for our own scenarios. Proverbs tells us that that isn't wisdom, that is foolishness. So wisdom has to do with righteousness. It has to do with justice. It has to do with equity. Wisdom has to do with the knowledge of good and evil. We look at verse 4. Solomon begins to give us a, a, a bigger picture of wisdom. He tells us that wisdom is prudence and discretion. One translation says, from these an ordinary person can learn to be smart and young people can gain knowledge and good sense. Or another translation says, they give insight to gullible people. That's nice, isn't it? Do you ever feel like you're just an ordinary, gullible person? Then the Proverbs are for you, right? The wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of God's Word is able to lift us out of that gullibility and give us discernment so that we can read situations and make the right choices. And what an encouragement as well that God's Word is able to do that to even the youth. To even the youth. It says to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So if you're in middle school or high school or college, listen, you're surrounded by stupidity, right? 
you live in a culture and in a world of foolishness, right? And there can be a temptation then to just think this is what the stage of my life is. Wisdom will come later when I have a job or when I have a family or when I have gray hair. But life experience doesn't bring the wisdom that Solomon is speaking of. You can just ask your parents and they're at work surrounded by the same stupidity. It just looks a little different and probably has a few less bathroom jokes than middle school. But it's the same foolishness. It's the same folly. And so you might think, I've only been alive for 12 years, 16 years, 21 years, and if I try to do too much in serving God, I'm just going to make a mess of things. And you might not have life experience, but life experience doesn't translate into wisdom. Experience in God's Word, experience in having a living relationship with God's Son in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what can make you wise. So no wonder Paul told Timothy not to let anyone look down on him because of his youth. Yes, he might not have had years under his belt, but he had God's Spirit in his heart and he had God's Word filling his mind. And so he was wise beyond his years because life experience does not bring you wisdom. God's Word brings you wisdom. So if you're a young person, if you're a youth in that verse, and I won't put any age range on it, don't underestimate the wisdom that is available to you right now through a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Wisdom is for everyone. It gives prudence to the simple and it gives knowledge and discretion to the youth. Finally, in verse 5, Solomon addresses the wise and encourages them to increase in learning and guidance. And you might think, well, hold up, doesn't wise mean that you've arrived, that you don't need to need anymore to be guided and to be taught? And Solomon says that's a foolish outlook on life. The truly wise have a humility to know that wisdom is a pursuit, not a goal. So wisdom is a pursuit, not a goal. Wisdom is a lifelong journey, not a destination that we arrive at. The one who thinks he has arrived indeed has because he won't take a step further in growing in wisdom. Proverbs 26.12 says that there's more hope for a fool than for one who is wise in his own eyes. And so right out of the gate here, Solomon, he encourages the simple and the youth, but he also says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So you're always in need of discipleship. You're never above a rebuke from a friend or a correction from a friend. You're never above counsel. You've never arrived. And if you have, if you do feel that you have, then that is a foolish place to be in, according to Solomon. So Solomon gives us this great picture of wisdom. It's kind of a multifaceted wisdom. We're beginning to get an understanding of what he's talking about when he says wisdom. 
And by the time we get to verse 7, one big question is now looming, which is, how do we get wisdom? How do we get this wisdom that he's talking about? How do we get this understanding and this correction and this discernment and this discretion? How do we get it? How can this wisdom that Solomon has described be ours? And Solomon points us to one central foundational thing, which is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Fear is a bit of a tricky word to translate into English. If you're like me, you've probably read those verses before and think, how do I respond to that? How do I respond to this fear of the Lord? Yes? Maybe? Yes. Cool. We're united. But it's a bit of a hard word to translate. But we know in Isaiah 11, 2-3, it speaks of Jesus Himself fearing the Lord. So that helps bring some clarity to it, right? So we know then that it's not terror or dread of harm, right? So to fear the Lord involves the recognition of God as He is. In His wisdom, His power, His holiness, His sovereignty, His mercy, and His love. It's a recognition of God as He is. It, it is to recognize Augustine's famous quote that God has made us for Himself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Him. It's to depend on God and submit to Him in every area of our lives. The everyday nitty-gritty details of our life are to be lived in the fear of God. Every nook and cranny of our lives are to be governed by God. We need to realize that God isn't just concerned with how you read your Bible and how you serve in kids' church. God is also concerned with how you cheer at your child's baseball game, how you eat supper, and how you drive to work. In every area of our lives, we give our lives to honor this, the love of Christ, our Savior, King. We all view the world in a certain way, through a certain lens. It's kind of what Joe was, was in the word he brought earlier. We all view the world in a certain way. Our fall into sin has assured that we do not see the world rightly. Our fall into sin has assured that we do not see the world rightly. Our view is distorted, and as a result, we make wrong decisions that kind of go against the grain of how the world really is. In the brokenness of our sin, it's like we're operating out of sync with God's plan for life, for how our life should work. In 1999, NASA designed the $125 million satellite to be the first weather observer on another world. It was the Mars Orbiter. But as it approached Mars to slip into a stable orbit, the orbiter vanished. And scientists realized quickly that it was gone for good. It apparently had hit the top of the atmosphere and burned up in a few seconds. $125 million and years of planning just gone like that. 
After an investigation, it was found out that the reason for the disaster was that the spacecraft team was using Imperial units while the navigation team was using the metric system, the standard for space exploration, and as a result, chaos and ultimately destruction. And we're a bit like that. God has a standard for navigating life, but we're over here operating on our own set of rules, doing what we think is best. As a result, we don't see things the way that we're supposed to be seeing them. We don't measure things the way they're meant to be measured. And the result is chaos. And if left to continue, ultimately destruction. God's working on the metric system and we're looking at life through the imperial system. And everything is out of sync. However, if we submit ourselves to God in fear of Him, it's like we come into His alignment for life and how the world is meant to be. We're now operating on the same system, the standard for navigating life. We're now beginning to walk in wisdom. Just like Joe's word, we, we view life through hopelessness, and then we make decisions out of that hopelessness. And so we give up on our relationships because we're looking at things through a system of hopelessness. We don't, we're not generous with our money because we're looking at things through a system of hopelessness. But when we come to Christ, He gives us a new way of looking at things. He gives us a new way to measure things. And it's not a system of hopelessness anymore. He gives us eyes for hope. He gives us a hope-filled view. And so now we're free to be generous because we're not dependent on our paycheck. We're dependent on God. And we begin to look at things differently. We don't give up on our relationships because we're filled with a new hope that God is able to redeem even the most dire of situations, right? And so now we're beginning to walk in wisdom. Now we're beginning to make wise decisions about our life and about the world around us because now our system is lined up with his system. We're not over here on our spacecraft on a, on a different uh, way to measure things. We've been lined up with what is the standard for life exploration and we're now operating on the same system, the same way to view things. And that way, it's not chaos and we're not going to crash into the atmosphere and make a mess of things. So wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord because the decision to humbly submit to Christ and trust Him with our lives is the wisest decision that a person can make. And once that decision is, is made, then wisdom can begin to flow in our life as everything then comes in under the banner of and is affected by that decision. So all wisdom flows from the fear of the Lord like a river flowing from a spring. So why is this key? Well, our biggest problem when it comes to wisdom and living wisely is not that we don't know enough wise proverbs. Our biggest problem when it comes to wisdom isn't that we don't know enough wise proverbs. Our biggest problem is that more often than not, we don't follow what we already know. Oftentimes, we know what to do. We just can't bring ourselves to do it. Although it's not an overly cheerful exercise, 
take a moment and think of how often we mess up. Think of the hurtful words you've said to a friend, a spouse, your children. Think of the times a loving friend confronted you with something you needed to hear, and in anger you blew it off and said, who do they think they are? Think about the things you've hidden from your parents. Think about the time you yelled, I hate you, to your mom. Think about the times you didn't discipline a behavior in your kids that has now gotten out of hand. Think of the way you've criticized others on social media. Think about the ways that you've mismanaged your money. Think about the grudge you've held on to for years. Think of the times you didn't finish a project at work because you blew the whole afternoon watching videos on YouTube. And on and on and on and on it goes. So what does this show us? It shows us that we have a major problem. That no amount of tips and tricks and life hacks will fix. It tells us that at a deep level we're broken and we don't work right. Because even though we recognize our need for wisdom, we don't even follow the wisdom we already know. We do things that we know are hurtful and foolish. And so education won't fix us because ignorance isn't our problem. When Proverbs tells us that where there are many words, sin is not absent, it's not telling us something that we don't already kind of know and haven't already experienced. We all know that when we run our mouth, we're more likely to hurt somebody than if we just shut up. We know that, and yet we run our mouth and we gossip about the people who've hurt us. We slander the coworker who got promoted over us. When we have a bad day at school, we come home as a regular old sass pants to our parents when we walk through the door, right? We know we just can't seem to do it. We know we just can't seem to do it. And it's in that deep level brokenness we're just left with what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? How do we live wisely when we can't even do what we know is right? How do we live wisely when we can't even do what we know is right? And that's the beauty of Proverbs. The beauty of Proverbs is this invitation from God. It shows us that wisdom isn't a set of ideas we have to learn wisdom is a person that you can know and have a relationship with. Wisdom is a person that you can love and walk with and talk to and you can hear wisdom's voice. And as you know and listen and love this person, you actually grow in wisdom. Proverbs will teach us that wisdom isn't a set of tips that we learn to live out. Wisdom is a person, Jesus Christ. So yes, Proverbs is a treasure chest of wisdom, and Jesus is the one who perfectly embodies that wisdom. Therefore, like every other part of the Bible, Proverbs will have its fullest and richest meaning only when it's read in the light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, even Solomon, this guy that 1 Kings 4 just sets up as the ultimate in wisdom. He was not the ultimate in wisdom. He made a mess of his life as well. He wrote Proverbs to his son to teach him 
in wisdom. But when you read about Rehoboam, his son and his successor, he was an even greater fool than Solomon. But when Jesus, the true son of David, arrives, he claimed to be the new Solomon with a greater wisdom. He astonished his listeners with his wisdom. The personified wisdom of Proverbs 8 that created the world is revealed in John 1 to be Jesus, the Word of God, with whom God created the world. Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God and the one in whom all God's wisdom is hidden. In prophesying about Jesus, Isaiah 11 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs is pointing us to the wisdom that is only found in Jesus. For many years, I didn't see Proverbs that way. I loved the book, but I just kind of saw it as God's cool one-liners. And when I read, what I read in Proverbs was kind of on the same level as the Proverbs that we know, like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but somehow in like a more holy way because it was in the Bible and not in a farmer's almanac, right? <laughs> and that's kind of how I viewed how I viewed Proverbs. I never thought of Proverbs as having any connection at all with Jesus. But Proverbs is all about us becoming wise in everyday life through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly embodies the wisdom of Proverbs. I'll say that again because it's the key to the whole book. Proverbs is all about us becoming wise in everyday life through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly embodies the wisdom of Proverbs. It's not just good advice. The Proverbs are God's invitation to learn wisdom through His Son, Jesus. And so when we come into relationship with Him and trust Him, He changes us. He puts a new heart in us. He puts His Spirit in us. He fills us with His Spirit. We now begin to see the world and our life the way it was meant to be seen. And the wisdom of Proverbs that he perfectly lives out, he begins to produce in us. Instead of following our hearts and doing what is right in our own eyes, we finally can come under the rule and reign of a wise king so that we can become wise ourselves. So as we finish... I just want to ask you where you're at this morning. When Solomon says that the beginning of living wisely is a decision to fear the, fear the Lord, a decision to submit your life to Christ and trust Him in every area of your life, have you done that? Do you realize this morning the foolishness of trying to live your own way when you've been created to live His way? I would say, why not this morning just turn your life over to Him? Why not make the wisest decision you will ever make and put your faith in Jesus this morning and begin that journey of wisdom and living wisely? 
I would encourage you not to be the fool in Solomon's Proverbs, the one who despises wisdom and instruction. I would encourage you this morning to fear the Lord, to have that reverence and awe, to realize God's claim on your life, and to submit every area of your life to Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of living wisely. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus and you've been following Him for quite some time. You've begun that journey toward wisdom. And you do know something of what it means to fear the Lord. But maybe this morning God's given you a bit of a wake-up call to the areas of your life where you've begun to make excuses and exceptions to what you know is God's will for your life. Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought to light areas of your life where you've been making your own wisdom apart from God's Word. I know in my own life, sin can sometimes just bring a fogginess and we don't see things clearly. And sometimes God just comes in His grace and He just shines a light on the path ahead. And He just kind of shows you the chaos and the confusion and the destruction that that path leads to. Maybe He's doing that for you this morning. He's bringing you that correction, that instruction by His Spirit. He's giving you that invitation and saying, come on, come on back to wisdom. Come on back to wisdom here. Come on back. Put your fear in the Lord. Don't try to do what's right in your own eyes. Don't relive that garden scene again. Come on back to wisdom. Come on back to my ways and my word for your life. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for Your Word that reveals so much to us. At times, Father, Your Word is so comforting to us and so encouraging, and other times it is like that double-edged sword, and it makes us think about where we're at in our life and the choices that we're making and the decisions that we're living out. And so we just submit ourselves to You this morning. We submit ourselves to Your Word. We pray, Father, that You'd give us the humble hearts that are necessary to put our fear in You and live wisely. Father, in areas where we've wandered off and we've begun to make decisions for what is right in our own eyes and we've begun to take on those exceptions. We've seen ourselves as outside of the authority of your word. Father, I pray that you would give us the gift of repentance this morning and you would draw us back to yourself. You would draw us back to that wise path for our life. That in these areas of our life, we would submit them to You and we would seek to honor You 
our Savior King. Father, some of us here are faced with very difficult decisions, very difficult circumstances, and we just don't know which way to go, which way to turn. We're in desperate need of your wisdom. We're so thankful for your promise in James that say if any of us lacks wisdom, we can just ask you and you give generously without reproach. Father, we want to be a wise people. And we recognize that that comes only through your Son, Jesus Christ. For those here this morning that don't know you and have yet to put their fear in you, have yet to trust you in every area of their life, I pray that you would now, by your Spirit, draw them to you that they would realize who you are. They would realize your sovereignty, your power, your love, your justice, your mercy, and they would give themselves to you. They would come humbly, not trying to do what is right in their own eyes, but the fear of the Lord would mark every area of their life. And they'd begin that journey to living wisely. Father, so many times we can't even live out the wisdom that we know. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. So that we can live wisely for your glory. We thank you for this grace this invitation, how freely you offer wisdom to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.